0: all right so here it starts so last time debbie we were talking about patita samupada Mm -hmm. most of the time on the the first part of it which we could call the foundational elements which basically shows how the mind works especially up to the point where we recognize that we don't live in the real world. We live in an artificially con- mentally constructed world. Yeah. The humans around in English language, they go around saying, I realize something. We can't realize anything. We can only mentalize things.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: We can't really realize things. A full-grown tree would just come popping <laughs> right out of my head, and that doesn't happen. We don't realize things. We mentalize them. And we mistake then that mentalization for reality.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And that one of the ways that we can speak of it in the sense of uh, dukkha is that the closer to the actual reality is to uh, our mentally constructed reality of the moment, the Mm -hmm. closer they are together, the less likely there is going to be suffering. Yeah which actually means in that particular moment, the more correct or the truer we are, the better wealth we are. And Mm -hmm. the further away from the truth we are, the more likely we are to make a mistake that's going to wind up being harmful or painful or something. And so this is part of uh, the quality of why investigation is so important is we begin to recognize that the way that we're constructing reality is based a lot on the past. So that we will actually mix old fear with the reality of the moment where the real reality, there's no danger.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But we feel fear right now anyway. And so that's part of our mentally constructed reality is a fearful situation to where the actual reality, there's nothing to fear.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, that little uh, sequence happens over and over and over and over again. Almost all the fear we feel is inappropriate.
1: Yeah, and that sometimes can lead to self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah, That has happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so when we're beginning to live more in the actual reality or when our constructed reality is closer to the actual reality, The actual reality is free from all of these feelings. Mm -hmm. At a funeral, a dead body is just a dead body. Yeah. But when the human sees the dead body, the thoughts are, my husband, or what about me, or oh, no, and now the lady's in a great deal of grief, and she winds up spreading that grief to everybody at the funeral. In fact, there's only one person who smiles at a funeral.
1: (laughs) The dead person?
0: The Undertaker. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Or in uh, Varanasi, it's the Brahmin priest.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) They're They're delighted
1: when people die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So everybody else in a state of grief to where the actual factual reality is, there's just a dead body. Yeah and that the undertaker can see that. It's just, how I many? how many has he seen already? to say, yeah, here's another dead body. <laughs> I wonder how much I can make off of this one. Yep. But for the woman who's lost her husband, especially when they have sati going on in India, you know that old practice, don't you?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That the wife has to jump into jump the funeral. In the park, right, they make, right. Yeah, right, exactly. And if she doesn't jump, she'll get pushed. And I do not know where that came from, but it's been outlawed for years. But they, at least when I was there 50 years ago, they were still doing it.
1: Well, that came from the fact that at that point of time, the gender ratio was uh, kind of imbalanced. There were more girls than guys. And so the girls would be wedded off to really old people so that, you know, The parents didn't have to feed a girl, and Mm -hmm. as soon as the husband died, they would be like, no, there's nobody to take care of you, so you should die. Or Mm -hmm. else you could become a widow and go to a temple.
0: Oh, there's other places that they can go and find a living, but it's generally looked down on with a very long nose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah uh so yes that's where that mentality comes from but meanwhile back to the point about this mentally constructed image which we call the Salayatana, is is that we we construct that out of stuff that we've gotten from the past Mm -hmm. while at the same time we're constantly putting in new stuff to cover over the top of the old past now, the way that we can think of it is is that we can actually do something about that, because normally what we do is we take our own present moment right now and basically just throw it into the sewer of the past, that our past is basically a, a real sewer, right? Mm-hmm. And so everything that goes in doesn't stay in as it is. It winds up being sewage really quick. Yeah. So what we actually need to think about doing is, is, let's separate the now from the past so that we can process stuff in the present with more current data.
1: Right, so we are not like... The a data data that we're... ...with mm-hmm. past memories because, and learning.
0: Exactly, because a lot of the stuff that happened in our childhood is what gives us the feelings that we have because we were really ignorant as kids when we decided to feel the way and so we've been in that habit. So as we begin to change the habits of the way that we feel, we can actually do that. Because that the, the new habit of joy becomes yesterday's sankara of joy, not misery. Mm-hmm. That's what helps at the light at the end of the tunnel is, is that we keep practicing correctly and mm-hmm. the old stuff gets kind of beaten down because right. we don't dig it up. So we have to make sure that, in fact, that's really what we want to do. We do not want to think about the past. That whenever I think about the past, it's beyond this house and the old places I used to live or anything like that, I automatically, as soon as I recognize those kind of thoughts, I throw them right out. Why? Because if I, if I dwell on that situation just a little bit, I'll wind up feeling bad about something that happened way back then.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Okay,
0: it, we dig that stuff up and then we suffer about it all over again. So mm-hmm. the really important point that we can learn at this is let's stop digging in the past, right? Because that's where we've uh, the the whatever past that we're working with the newer past is kind of better than the older past in several ways. One is more fresh, and two is probably closer to wisdom. Mm -hmm. and 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 correctness than it was when we were children
1: right
0: one of the things go ahead
1: yeah when we practice this um and we are not letting our memories like the previous memories uh, interfere with our sensation then we are essentially living in the moment right so the next time i do that I'm probably not gonna go back to the past, even if it's like the recent past, which made me happy.
0: Okay, but you're more likely to feel happy now because you recently felt happy, rather than uh, um, you're more likely to feel miserable if the last thing that you felt was (laughs) miserable.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Okay, Uh, you can look at it from the perspective of if you've got several people standing around, Mm-hmm. who's most likely to light up a cigarette?
1: The one who smoked?
0: <laughs> ta I rest my case. <laughs> so, <laughs> in other words, we keep repeating the same habits over and over and over again. Let's start creating some new habits.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's start putting right. some new layers in there so that we can uh, have a uh, a new, fresh way of Re-spending almost automatically. Our almost automatic response now can become more healthy.
1: hmm Yeah.
0: Okay. So we can actually begin to change these old things by not dwelling in the past or thinking about the past, but rather stay fresh and in the present moment. And that mentality and attitude then will make some actual... Uh, let us call it perceptual changes. We begin to perceive the world differently now
2: Mm -hmm.
0: because we're processing with better, newer information. Yep. Okay. So now that we've got it up, that this thing uh, is also quite, uh, how do you say, volatile, that this thing that we call personality is not fixed. Mm -hmm. The whole Point of psychology is based upon the fact that people can change. Yeah. Well, that's very modern. That's brand new, in fact. You don't have to go very back very many centuries to where we have thoughts like, uh, who are you to uh, do good? Only God can do good. Mm-hmm. That you're a sinner. Yeah. You're no good. Okay. Yeah, the are. British government did that really strongly to the Indian people.
1: Yep. Yeah,
0: you know what I'm talking about, right. They <laughs> really did grind that in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they grounded in uh, much later into Burma, and Burma really rebelled about it right after World War II. That's when they threw almost, they threw actually not almost, they went looking for Indians in Burma to deport oh. them. Oh. Why? Because the Indians who were in Burma were there because of the British. I know what you're talking
1: about. You're talking about Nitaji Shubha Chandrubos. The Azadhin Forge? Have you heard Uh, of him?
0: I don't know that word for it, but I certainly know a lot about what happened because Goenka was mixed in there. They threw Goenka Uh, himself out of Burma.
1: Right. He went to Burma to um, acquire ammunition and forces, and he also had plans to uh, collaborate with Hitler to fight uh, against the British. But again, Mm -hmm. our internal politics just messed
0: it up. Right. So um, the point about the mind then is, is that it is the salyantina that we create. But that the way that we create it will change over time if we start to developing the skills. And yeah. so this next one that we're going to talk about, because last time we began to talk about the three kinds of feelings that are arise out of our, let us call it, understanding or recognition or realizing things. So out of the salayatana not out of perception, but out of the results of the perception, the salayatana is where feelings arise. And when they do, it's called contact, that, the, that our feelings is what hit us. And what, or, uh, the, the, the uh, salayatana is what impacts us, causing feelings. Okay, in the Pali, that, that impact is called pasa.
1: Okay, could you repeat the distinction? Is there a distinction between emotion and feeling?
0: I would say yes, there is a distinction between emotion and feelings and that uh, the distinction is in that motion. Okay. Okay. Let us say... (laughs) All right. Oh, you
1: you hit the bullseye. (laughs) I'm
0: sorry, what?
1: You hit the bullseye. In neuropsychology, (laughs) we say that feeling are basically the uh, hedonic pleasure, the liking. And Mm -hmm. in case of emotion, the motion, there is a reward (laughs) aspect, a wanting aspect to it.
0: Right. And so emotion then would be what we would talk about in Buddhism As uh, Tanha. Okay. Tanha, which is the grasping or the the movement or the motion. Another word that we could use would be intention.
2: Okay.
0: Why do we intend? When you get out of a chair, why do you get out of the chair? Obviously, you had an intention. You wanted something. You started Mm -hmm. to move. You got up out of that chair. Why? Why? Why did you get out of the chair? The answer is you wanted something. Something moved you to get out of the chair. What was it? It was a feeling. A feeling of maybe a thought of a cup of coffee desiring, I like coffee, therefore I want coffee. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay.
0: So that's it. What's the difference between feeling and emotion is emotion is the actual tanha or the movement that we do ignorantly based Mm -hmm. upon the feeling.
1: Would you say uh, it is possible for um, emotion or tanha to exist without liking or the feeling?
0: Yes, the other feelings would be not liking, which would be in the equivalent of taking your hand out of the fire. Mm-hmm. you don't like the heat
2: yeah
0: and so you move your hand out of the fire sometimes you'll shake it <laughs> sometimes no. you'll blow on it <laughs> sometimes you'll cry all these emotions that have to do with not liking that that intense uh sensation that's in the hand
1: yeah absolutely Now that's not what i actually wanted to ask what i wanted to ask was uh do you think that uh, wanting is solely fueled by liking or there are other aspects. <clears throat> like wanting is born out of liking or I can want something without liking it for some other purpose.
0: Give me an example.
1: For example, uh, I may not like to take a vaccination but I know it's helpful for me so I want to take it.
0: You want to take it. Why do you want to take it?
1: Because that's reasoning. It's going to be good for me. And although I don't like.
0: You like that part of it. You may dislike the nick that it causes on the pain when you're getting the shot. And that will recur. But right now you're seeing the value of it.
2: Yeah. So your image
0: is a shot will be good for me. Therefore, I like to get the shot even though I know that it's going to be painful, but my liking overtakes my uh, unliking at that point, because right now you've got both. And if you're not careful, what will happen is the student will at that point become confused. Do I want to take the shot or not? Okay. Okay, so it always has this quality of the feeling that's built into it, whether that feeling came from reasoning or some other
2: yeah.
0: uh, uh, answer uh, that we got from our Saliatana that impacted us. Okay, now you understand. Okay, great. Great, great. <laughs> Keep you on the page. Okay, because we have those three kinds of feelings. We have the feeling of, I like it, therefore, I am moved to try to get it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or I don't like something, therefore, I am moved to try to get rid of it. Or I don't understand something, so I am moved, perhaps, to either escape from it or to get around behind it. But there is still the movement that's done, even when we're confused, okay? So, now the point is, is that this is actually a time to bring in wisdom. Like in, like in the sense of wisdom at the point of contact means that now we can begin to control the feelings. We can see the feelings as they actually are. And now we can behave wisely. Because if we don't see them as they arise, the good feeling will naturally go through Tanda into full-on Upadana. Right. U, upadana is actually, ah, I got to have it. Okay, oh, we can call wonder. this a woeful state.
2: Okay. Woeful
0: states like hell, or like ghostly, <laughs> or like uh, um, an animal state, or like the asuras Okay, these are the woeful states that come from the actual Tanha. But right now we're just looking at, uh, excuse me, the, the Upadana. But right now we're looking at Tanha under the question of the motion that we take. And right. so all three of them are normally done ignorantly, But we can, in fact, have a fourth kind of feeling if we develop it based upon the ability of Sati to wake up. If we can wake up to this at this point in time, then we can see that feeling directly. Okay, so one of our favorite stories is actually one that Robert has told about a situation with Anchan Semedo before he was an Anchan. And Achan Cha, where they were at a katin ceremony, where all of the girls in Thailand go to the Wat, all dolled up.
1: Oh, is it for okay, the so, women?
0: Yeah, well, they're out husband hunting for the monks oh. who were just Roving. Okay, they're all out husband hunting. And so Achan Cha uh, elbows Achan Tomato and says, well, what do you think? Mm. And Achan Tomato came back with this phrase, <laughs> I like it but I don't want it. Yeah. Okay, now that's actually wisdom. He knows that he likes it. I mean, these pretty girls are really pretty. I know what a pretty girl
1: is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I like it very much, but I don't want it. Yeah. Okay, so this is what he's saying, is is that I see what's going on, and I'm the one to sit here as a monk, and I'm not going to lust after any of this stuff, which Mm -hmm. is intentionally on display. For that (laughs) very reason. (laughs) Yep. Okay. So if we can understand our feelings like that, then we can also understand sometimes I don't like something and I don't have to do anything about it.
2: Yeah.
0: Or there's something like uh, an example uh, that happened a couple of years ago. Haven't seen it recently, but Kitty was in the process of having a full-on tantrum. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay.
0: which means that mom is on, in her, her own full-on tantrum, raising the hand about to smack this kid, which now means the kid not only doesn't get what she wants, she's about <laughs> to have danger coming, <laughs> okay? And so she's going to bawl even bigger. But when, when daddy comes in and recognizes, wait a minute, I see what's going on. I don't have to join in feeling the way that they feel. okay, because I'm very much invited, okay, let me go, uh, let me go attack a a crying brat myself, you know, (laughs) don't let mom have all the fun, (laughs) (laughs) and then I can say, wait a minute, I can wake up and be joyful instead at this moment, I don't have to respond to my ill will towards the situation, I can change the way I feel because I know how to do that. And so I'm going to talk with with them both, all grins and everything, to see who I can get to smile first. (laughs) Okay, sympathetic joy or mudita is coming into play only when we are smart enough or wise enough at that point of contact when feelings arise to not go through that motion.
1: Right. Is this, I think... This is probably what Danny was talking about, like not reacting, rather than responding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. In rather- that
0: regard, responding would be doing something with wisdom to check it out, figure out the right thing to do, and then responding in that way. Right. But a reaction is an emotion.
2: Mhm.
0: Mhm. They have the same quality of motion. <laughs> Reaction, you know. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So that, uh, and in that regard, we're looking at uh, Newton's second law of thermodynamics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Okay. So we're talking right in motion stuff that this is actually <laughs> happening. That gun does kick. <laughs>
2: Absolutely.
0: Yep. Uh, so, um, that's the way that we can look at it exactly. That emotion is the movement that comes from ignorant feeling. Right.
1: <clears throat> Amazing. <laughs> and it perfectly aligns with neuropsychology and how the brain works. <laughs>
0: well, catch where they learned it? <laughs> it's been around a long time. Yep. They, they've been putting it together and it fits that's the beauty of it i mean the human being is an old thing to play with and people mm-hmm. have been playing with a human being as a toy for a long time and we figured that all out a long time ago
2: yep. now
0: they're doing it scientifically
2: yep
0: but look yeah. at the speed that <laughs> they're doing i mean uh neuroscience is something that's happened to, to actually within even within your lifetime That before they knew kind of nothing. I mean, MARs are only a few years old.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And now we've got functional MARs and now we've got them uh, hooked up to computers so that people can walk and talk and dance and have all of these um, uh, little neuron uh, detectors all over the place being fed through Bluetooth right into the computer. And they're beginning to really figure out some stuff. And guess what? They have not prove the Buddha wrong once.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I was like, how did he think of all of this by just experimenting on himself?
0: I kind of got the idea finally, because it's in fact, if you look at it, it's right there in the text. Okay. But we miss it. And that is that thing when he says, aha, I see you, Mara. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Are you going to have the wisdom to be able to see that feeling as it arises?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay? Because that's it. I mean, look at the second noble truth, and you know that the second noble truth is uh, referred to in mystical language as Mara, and that Mara has the quality of the world or evil or the mind. The Buddha normally uses it for the mind, but we use it in the context of uh, the Dukkha that's within the mind. So the cause of Dukkha is actually Mara and okay. his three daughters. And, and the three daughters are <laughs> Loha, Moha, Dosa, which is these oh, three feelings it. that we just talked about. The ignorant oh. feeling, I don't know what it is, I don't like it, or I like it.
1: Okay, but they translate <laughs> something else in Hindi, like... Did you say loha or lobha? Lobha.
0: loba. loba That's I think.
1: creed. Pardon? That means creed in Hindi.
0: Yep, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what were the others?
0: Uh, moha and dosa. Dosa, dosa is, is-, is ignorance, delusion.
2: Yeah. And,
0: uh, wait a minute. Do- moha. I keep getting these backwards because I have to make sure that they're backwards because the Thai language word for anger is moho.
2: So moho
0: or moba actually, uh, 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 loha, moha, dosa, dosa is anger. And moha is ignorance.
1: Okay. Hmm. And so
0: we have this sometimes very strong ignorant feeling
1: absolutely that was me one month back pardon that was me one month back
0: (laughs) (laughs) well the here's the interesting thing with wisdom that uh uh feeling of doubt or curiosity or the feeling of confusion then can be managed into joy so it becomes a um A wanting to know from a positive place that we would call curiosity. Right. Okay. If we don't know, we can actually become fearful. If we don't know, we can become confused. But if we don't know with wisdom, we can turn it into investigation. Let's take a look at this. Let's go see what it's all about. Let me figure out what's going on, you know. And so... Uh, we have a way of dealing with each one of these things. The one that I was showing you with Kitty is we do not have to respond in ill will once it comes off. We can turn that into joy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We can also turn uh, uh, loba or greed uh, into wisdom from the perspective of, wait a minute, Going after that which I like is probably more work than it's worth. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that's a wise way of looking at it, you know. Let's live a life that's easy, that we Mm -hmm. can enjoy the things that are beautiful without having to hang them on our own wall.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And so we can begin to live a life that's very simple, but then everything becomes beautiful. We live in a delightful world. Because we Even, don't want anything in particular. We begin to just like a whole lot of stuff. Through
2: wisdom. I yeah.
0: Okay. So now that we understand that we've got a choice here. The mm-hmm. choice is are we going to go the old ways that we've always been doing it, which would be through ignorance and not wisdom, or are we other, the other side is to wake up, to be here now to see how we feel in this present moment so that we can begin to manage how we feel we can after all can feel the way that we want to feel Mm -hmm. if we recognize that we can feel the way that we want to feel Yeah. That's a very dangerous thing for you to teach the other psychologists. Be careful about that. <laughs> Put you right out of business when everybody feels recognizes that they can feel the way they want to feel, and they don't need a psychiatrist to figure yeah. that one out.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had a pretty good debate about this. Like, where does uh, well, when I say talk about psychology, I mean more of neuropsychology rather than uh, you know the. Uh, conventional theories and schools of thought so yeah for
0: me they're Um, all a toy to play with so forgive me for playing with my
2: toys
1: (laughs) (laughs) we finally came to a point of agreement where we could say that okay neuropsychology is for people who had um, you know been injured had gone through a trauma or something like that like a brain injury or something but otherwise dharma is like the best thing ever for anyone
0: I absolutely agree. Uh-huh. But remember when I was in psychology, there were no PhDs in, uh, oh, what is the word they use? I've got a word. What we had instead was what was called clinical psychology. Yeah, yeah. Which is exactly that model that your client is always broken that we generally go see our clients at the mental institution or in jail.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, so, uh, but they have this new thing, I think it kind of got started with family psychology.
2: Mm-hmm, but, then they, uh,
0: but there's another word, it starts with the letter C, a whole new branch of psychology or psychotherapy.
1: Counseling psychology. What is it? Counseling, are you saying?
0: Well, it's it's based in wellness.
1: It's yeah, a wellness.
0: I uh, uh, not uh, oh, I almost had it under. Um, never mind. Yeah.
2: Okay.
0: It's actually a degree program in the United States now. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: that uh, actually the whole point of it is is that everybody suffers. Mm-hmm. And everybody can get out of their suffering, that there's no reason for our general population to be such a miserable bunch of people. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Uh,
0: and so I think it is. this is not the right word, but it goes along with the word of wellness psychology. Uh, yeah. But it's not clinical. It's, um, I don't remember the word. I just said, sorry, old man no brain. I, think you're I don't have about
1: any... counseling psychology where... that's, it.
0: that's it that's it that'll do it that's yeah. what I was looking for yeah yeah, yeah. so that yeah. there is counseling people who already know how to think that's mm-hmm. the group that you're going to put out of business
2: absolutely like just <laughs>
0: telling the patient you can just feel the way you want to feel
2: be yep. <laughs> like <laughs> what I don't need this pills
0: no, you don't need to feel, you need to feel good.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Uh, and that this is actually the teaching of the Buddha, though it's done with such exquisite detail mm-hmm. of, of figuring out. But going back to that point, this is that one statement the Buddha made. Aha, I see you, Mara. Aha, I see the dukkha that's in, in the mind. Um. And so that actually separates us from uh, the attachment to basically the personality that we are normally used to, Mm -hmm. because if that feeling of not liking comes up, along with fear, there will be, in fact, anger. I don't like this. And they'll say that. I don't like this. That means the I is in there. And then they'll come up with is like, I'm angry. Well, what we're doing here is we're beginning to break a separation and saying, no, I see the anger. I am not angry, but there is anger there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. if I can, yeah, okay. So that's that separation, we come out of it. And that's the quality of the, "aha, uh-huh, I see you, Mara, or this quality of being able to see our feelings as they arise so that now we can make wise choices rather than following our old bad habits.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Since since I last spoke to you, I have been experiencing this really vividly. Like even like simple things like making tea or brushing my teeth, it's done so differently every day. To the point that there there is no way to generalize uh, a particular pattern of behavior and call it me.
0: Exactly so. But very few people actually begin to, um, let us say, do that kind of investigation or that kind of looking at it. Right. And that's what's so valuable about the teachings of the Buddha is that it gets us to really look at mm-hmm. what's going on in there rather than making those basic assumptions of I, me, and my that we basically started out with when we were little kids. By the time we were five or six years old, we've got this ego kind of personality built up. Yeah. And I'm careful with the word ego because it's commonly used, but it's not the way that Boyd uses it. You and me both. Boyd uses it, it's <laughs> the id that gets fully developed, the child uh, ego state. Um, and that. Um, but in any case, We can come out of those old habits by waking up to them and not following that. So that's the important point. But in particular, in uh, classical teachings of the Paticca Samuppada, there is actually a sequence of events that takes us from the feelings ignorantly into uh, first Tanha, that. That movement, that emotion, that desire that I want it, that then leads to the actual grasping or clinging. Not, mm-hmm. uh, the grasping after would be the tanha, the actual clinging then, which is now the identification. And we identify ourselves with all kinds of things.
1: Right. So when you're like doing out of emotion, it's like more of a compulsion. So you get attached more. But when you're doing it with reasoning, it's more like a cost and uh, benefit decision. And you're like, yeah, that's just, you don't have to identify with it anymore.
2: Wow.
0: Okay. So, at this point, we get really instinctual. Okay. Okay. Okay, we begin to act out of instinct rather than out of wisdom, because we remember we've already talked about we can take the wisdom way out and figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. When we don't take the wisdom way out, the only option left is that more primitive part of the brain that operates out of instinct. So here we go. There are four primary instincts and there are also four primary modes of clinging. And there are also four woeful states. Okay. If that's true, then maybe we can see a direct relationship in there to recognize that the Buddha is talking about all four things. That in fact, the instincts is referred to in the Pali as underlying tendencies.
1: hmm. I could see how that would work.
0: Okay, so underlying tendencies, the first underlying tendency using the uh, Western version would be the self-preservation instinct. Yep. Okay, that part of us that wants to keep us alive. If we did not individually have that instinct, we wouldn't be here today. We were already croaked. We had already gotten into danger, not recognizing danger. In fact, the whole job of the self-preservation instinct is to shout danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's keeping us alive. It's a warning system. The problem is, is too many false positives. (laughs) Yeah. Perpetual
1: threat mode. (laughs) uh
0: Uh-huh. Okay. So that's our primary instinct, and that gives rise to the clinging to the self of eyes, mm-hmm. me's, my's, and that kind of thing, okay? The second one, uh, and Bhikkhu Buddhadasa is really big on this, is talking about it in the percent, in the sense of materialism, but in the Pali it's referred to as uh sensual desire, as an instinct, and that we can call it the procreation instinct. Right, but now the procreation instinct of the western mind, because of Catholicism and all that, we immediately jump on the sex wagon. (laughs) Where this is not issue, this is not specifically about sex, it's about power, it's about how to maintain safety. The only reason that the girl gets married is because she's looking for a secure, safe life.
1: On the other hand, it could be an extension of identity,
0: you know? That's that's true also. But the primary point that we're making is is that, um, let's put it this way, way back sometime when a human being did something that no other animal before that has ever done before and that most animals still don't do it. And Mm -hmm. that was is that when he picked up a rock, to bash a bone in so that he could get the marrow out of it. He made a critical decision to keep that rock. Yeah. Okay, because it was especially good when it did the job really well, so he kept it. (laughs) So the next thing he needs to do is a bag so that he could put it in which now <laughs> becomes our modern pocket, and that little bone, that our um, uh, rock, that that mo- uh, that um, uh, primitive man picked up, is now the modern day cell phone.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Okay, <laughs> it's our it's our willingness to take tools and keep them. It's our possession. It's the ability to take up weapons or tools, because the ultimate use of a weapon. The ultimate use of it is self-preservation.
1: Okay, so and that's how attachment creeps in?
0: Uh, Yes, that's a form of attachment, but uh, it's much better uh, in our language to use the kind of words that we're using in the sense of clinging that's down Mm -hmm. at the level of instinct. Because there are a lot of things that are actually worth attaching to. I don't know Mm. why Western Buddhism has just started, you know, they're really shooting a lot of darts at that word attachment. (laughs) And yet the Buddha says, no, there are actually fortunate attachments. Attachments to joy. Attachments to this Mm. present moment. Attachments to the Eightfold Noble Path.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Okay. okay.
0: Especially attachment to this present moment. So, Mm. attachments by themselves are not bad, but we can look at it instead as this this uh, upadana, this clinging that, okay. that creates an identity.
1: Right. So the discomfort is, that comes with attachment.
0: And, right. And so we, first off, we as humans start developing materialism. Mm-hmm. But there's probably a more primitive one, which we've already touched on and mentioned, and that is what I would refer to now as the herding instinct. But that herding instinct is not just from mammals, though we can see it strongly. I mean, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the, the easy one that I like so much is imagine that uh, the sheep herding dog, the shepherd, is mm-hmm. guarding a whole bunch of sheep, <laughs> but the sheep are actually not afraid of the dog. And so yeah. every sheep just goes off well in his own direction, <laughs> what's the dog to do? He can bark at the sheep and the sheep's gonna <laughs> laugh at him, oh no. Because of this fear, the sheep collect together in a herd for self-protection, which means now they're completely controllable
2: mm-hmm. because
0: the dog is is controlling them through fear. By barking in the right direction and going off that way, he knows if I go this way, they'll go that way.
2: Much like governments.
0: I'm sorry, what?
1: Much like governments.
0: yes the shepherd precisely that's exactly what the governments do to us when we are in a herd yeah but the but the deeper level of that herd what is in classical um science calls an instinct is the nesting instinct and this is it which basically has the quality that if you don't behave in the nest then you get thrown out of the nest and out of the nest is more dangerous than in the nest.
2: Right. And you can
0: see that in operation where the teenage boy and his dad are having an argument. And the man says, you do it my way or you get out.
2: <laughs>
0: but the daughter basically uh, will storm off into her bedroom and then crawl out the window. Okay. <laughs> because right. she does not want to be under the control of the, uh, of the dad who is um, exercising the dominant part. So dominance and subdominance is com- comes out of this instinctual quality that Eric Byrne calls the parent ego state, and that yeah. Freud calls it the superego. But mm-hmm. basically what this is, is all of our rights, rules, rituals, laws, ceremonies, and ways to do things that we call society.
1: Absolutely.
0: But Buddha talks about it, an underlying tendency uh, uh, to, to follow uh, or to attach to rights, rules, rituals, procedures, ways of doing things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so what will happen many times is, is that somebody will have the idea, I ought to go on a diet. And then something else inside of us, and I don't want to go on a diet. You know, so these kind of dialogues happen because of the distinction between their having thoughts out of the parent ego state that's coming out of all of these rules. Yeah. And, and that basically what we can recognize is, is that that's a form of clinging and that it will take us into a woeful state, which we'll talk about when the time comes. But right now we have to talk about the fourth one. But that that third one is attachments to rights, rules, rituals, ceremonies, ways of doing things, and basically ways to fit in, to mm-hmm. go along, to get along.
2: Right. So it's okay. like
1: uh, all of them are related. Like at the base of it is this, uh, you know, preservation of self, and then you have the rest of it. Is, is there a hierarchy?
0: Basically, yes, at the bottom of all of this is the self preservation instinct. Yeah. All of these other instincts are subordinate to it, but that you can see the territorial instinct and, and the nesting instinct are oh, like right. two sides of the same coin.
2: Right.
0: If we're going to have a we, we've got to have a them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we have our nest because of them. If there were mm-hmm. no thems, then we didn't need to nest. Okay. Yeah. But the territory is kind of broader in the sense of defining we as a as a larger group. But mm-hmm. humans are not like the dogs. The dogs in the neighborhood they they really start barking when somebody comes into their mm-hmm. physical territory until they figure out friend or foe. Yep. Right. Humans do that too. It's a instinctual thing, but it's we also have the physical territory because look at all the laws about deeds, property rights, uh, uh, governmental boundaries, and all kinds of stuff that comes out of this territorial instinct that we have. But there's even a more dangerous aspect to it. And that is that humans have taken that territorial instinct into the mind. Yeah. Making our territories mental.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so
0: and that we do that uh, at this uh, instinctual level, and that's what we have when we have racism. Mm-hmm. My group's better than your group.
2: Yeah.
0: Or my political party is better than your political party. So this is where we actually do our identification. I am this.
2: Right.
0: I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a singer. I'm a piano player. I'm a, a pianist. I so like would the you pianist.
1: Think that- identification is basically uh, trying to figure out like since uh, people you you know like humans need to know what they're trying to save so that we have like all the positives the weakness and the strength before we try to save anything so would you say that that is why we do that like that is why identification is so important to us because we need to know what we are saving
0: Uh, That would be kind of what you could call a rationalization, but that basically it's deeper than that. It's instinctual. Right. We, it's, an, it's, almost, it's, par, it's deeply buried into our nature to be um, territorial, which means we define who we are by what we are not.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and political parties or even uh, nationalism in the sense of, uh, I'm, an, I'm English, or I am Indian, or I am Thai. Those kinds of thoughts uh, help define who we are. In relationship, if I am Thai, that means I am not Malaysian. Right. Okay, so another way of looking at that is, the best way of looking at it is, is I'm, I'm human yeah <laughs> problem that, is so people have asked, "Are you American?" I said, "Well, there's an American passport in the other room.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's about as far as it goes that this I am stuff um, yeah. is is uh, problematic, and here's the reason why. Let's look at it from the perspective of a um a political party and voting. But if I'm um, a Tory, mm-hmm. anytime anything bad happens to the Tory party, I feel bad because I am Tory. Yeah. Or Absolutely. Uh, if I'm, uh, let us say, if I'm in Manchester, like everyone else in Manchester, we follow the Manchester footy. <laughs> okay? and then and so anytime that something bad happens to the footy team, my team, you know, and I feel bad, all right? But you know, here's the thing about that that's very interesting. These fans that, that say my team, actually, if these guys go in, they can't get into the locker room. Yeah. It's not their team. They don't own it. The uh, the you know they can't get into the locker room and they're certainly not going to get into the uh, 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 the the box where the owner is actually okay is <laughs> not their team at all. Why do they think that is my team? It's because of this territorial instinct of mine, my group, my crowd, my uh, um, uh, basically my clan, or in another way of thinking of it, my herd. hmm So. Uh, These four instincts, then, are the source of the the clinging. So we wind up clinging to materialism, we cling to right rules and rituals, we cling to ideas and identities, and Mm -hmm. we cling to a self to try to keep it alive when, in fact, it's mostly not in danger.
1: Yeah, that practically sums up all kinds of troubles.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're generally not in danger when I was a kid I heard the point sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never harm me yeah. but it was an adult before I actually figured out that that was actually true that yeah. words don't harm us that they're... Nope. <laughs> yeah. and yet most of the harm that's done in the world is because people wrongly believe that I am a word -hmm. Therefore, when that word is attacked, it's me that's attacked, and I've got to respond by attacking you. And so I'm going to find words that you like (laughs) and identify with, and then trash those words because I can. (laughs) All right. So these four modes of clinging are the are is the way, and that, that that's a good part because that means that these that's only four things to deal with or to work with. But in fact, our primary emotions are actually quite small. Okay. Anger, Mm -hmm. grief, Mm -hmm. or sadness. Sadness and grief are pretty close together. Okay. And then fear. Fear is the big daddy because fear is what keeps us alive. Yes. Okay. And that means that if we become fearless, it's our obligation now to live wisely to be able to see the danger for through because we're using it from the frontal cortex or from the actual seeing and understanding rather Mm -hmm. than a gut reaction of being afraid. Great. Okay, here's an interesting way of looking at that. Uh, And that is imagine that someone has a gun pointed right in your face. Most people are gonna be terrified when somebody's got a gun right in their face. (laughs) <laughs> but somebody who knows what's going on maybe can recognize, oh, wait a minute. That's a revolver, <laughs> which means that I can see the bullets in the chamber. Mm-hmm. And this gun is pointed at me. All of the chambers that I see are empty. Maybe the one that's on the <laughs> barrel is, uh, uh, is, is empty, too. So there may not be as much danger as people. But if you don't look at what's going on, the fear itself will take over
2: yeah
1: absolutely i can see this being the basis of many anxiety disorders like ptsd and uh, generalized anxiety disorder and stuff
2: Mm -hmm.
1: people selectively attend to things that are fear-provoking and that you know um, is consistent with their um, hypothesis and it's a perpetual cycle of being feared without any proper evidence, and then collecting evidence uh, to be try friend. to
0: prove their fear. Okay. Exactly. Uh huh. This yeah. is what's called confirmation bias.
1: Yep, absolutely. So that
0: means that people who are like that will now become friends with uh, what they call uh, conspiracy theories, mm. uh, looking for devils and demons and liars and charlatans mm-hmm. everywhere. Okay. Yeah. And they're, But they're doing it out of fear and point fingers rather than out of wisdom to really check things out. Yeah. Okay, so now let's look at the four woeful states. The four woeful states is exactly uh, corresponding to these four modes of clinging and these four instincts in the sense that if we become captured by one of these uh, modes of clinging, it will wind us up in one of these woeful states. This is what the Buddha is referring to as being reborn. So our normal state is human, but we can be reborn in this woeful state through our clinging and our identification.
1: And reborn in the sense you mean like uh, actually reborn or is it like a mental thing?
0: It's always mental. If it were an actual rebirth, we don't have any control over it. That's the problem with uh, magical ways of thinking. But the actual rebirth is the rebirth of the self that is in the woeful state, as opposed to being again reborn into the human being that is wise. (laughs) Right. Okay, so these woeful states, the first one and the one that you just mentioned is the woeful state of hell. Okay. Okay, and you can see from time to time that people are really li- mentally, they're in hell.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, they're full of tension, they're full of anxiety, they're full yeah. of um, um, basically anger, they're hot.
1: And, so, and what's the hot ticket to hell?
0: karma <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay so the next one then is um, the woeful state of what they call the pita or the prita which is the hungry ghost basically this is the story of the ghost who wants to get full but he can't they can, the ghost cannot get a good meal he can't eat he's always hungry the hungry ghost, and that they're depicted like a, um, a, a water pot or maybe even a balloon shape. But the water pot has a tiny little hole in it
2: mm-hmm. so
0: that the, uh, the preta keeps sucking and sucking and sucking and sucking but never so gets satisfied. Wanting. wanting. Yes, yeah. yeah, so this is in fact our greed. Our greed winds us up into the woeful state of wanting. Right. And, and we don't get what we're wanting. We're dissatisfied and we keep grasping and clinging and looking after. And many people will get that way no matter how much money they they get. It's not enough. And they keep wanting more and more and more. Yep. Okay. So one of the stories that I tell about that is uh, uh, using a little quote, well, life sucks <laughs> when we're sucking.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And
0: so, if we stop sucking, then life don't suck no more. Yeah. And that sucking is that quality of um, that preacher, that hungry ghost, Mm -hmm. and it's sort sort of like us living our lives through a soda straw. Mm Mhm. Yeah. All we can get is a soda straw full. I I remember one time I tried to suck in a Mercedes through that soda straw. (laughs) <laughs>
1: how did that end
0: well I got the Mercedes but it was more work than it was worth <laughs>
2: okay.
0: and what a surprise when I found my mouth full of it
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway um, life don't suck if we're not sucking life sucks when we're sucking on things we want, we want this is the vocal state of the free time and it's better to not wind up in that state. It's better to recognize I like something, but I don't have to want it. I yeah. don't have to hunger and thirst after it and try to get a hold of it and thinking that I'm no good without it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay, and you can see people like that a lot. Yeah. One of them is wanting enlightenment.
2: Yeah. Wanting yeah. enlightenment
0: <laughs> is a form of dukkha.
2: Absolutely. But being
0: like, that's easy. All we yeah. have to do is just remember to be light, and there we are. We're lightened up. So the next one is—actually, this is my favorite, and that is the animal state. you probably heard about all of these things anyway. You know, the hell state, the pita, uh, the hungry ghosts, the animal states, and uh, the asuras. So the animal state is basically uh, the normal human being suffering under the— um, The nesting instinct, and that is the nesting instinct means that you do what you're told. If you want to live here in this house, you've got to follow the rules. And we tell this to every kid. What kid in India has not been told that very thing?
1: None.
0: None? Nobody gets told you got to you got to no. do what you're told to do. No,
1: I meant everybody has been told that nobody has not been told that. <laughs> OK,
0: all right. That OK. Now you, you're about to blow my mind there. I thought I was in <laughs> India one time.
1: <laughs> no way. India is like the epitome of uh, shoulds and coulds and should
2: nots. Uh-huh.
0: But guess what? Every country says they're the epitome, and I'm not sure which one is.
2: <laughs> but India
0: is certainly on the short list. <laughs> so um, this is how we live our life. When I was in India, I saw a donkey that had a log strapped to his back. It was a four-inch log. I mean, it was doable. And the other end of that log was attached to a millstone. And this donkey went in a circle of about 30 feet around and around and around while this guy plugged sugarcane uh, stalks into it and out poured sugarcane juice. Right. Guess how much sugarcane juice that donkey got? None. None, of course not. He might get some of the uh, pulp, but yep. he's not going to get the fruit of his labor. We live our lives like that. In fact, in our society, most people's money that they actually earn doesn't go to them. It goes to their bosses. Yeah. It goes to the guy who's getting the sugarcane juice and selling it for 10 rupees a glass. Mm-hmm. And I that's how so we live our lives. Uh,
1: I think it's also because we make our happiness conditional because... I think most people, like, every, every individual wants at the end of the uh, day to be happy, if they have food in their tummy, of course, if the self-preservation need is taken care of, then, and yeah, just thinking that a money or a car or something else is going to make me happy is, like, confounding your own happiness.
0: Exactly. Especially when we recognize that that's a promise that was actually a lie.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And here's how it goes, and this happens in America, it happens in England. The kid says, you've got to study, you've got to go to school. And the kid says, why? And the answer is, because you're going to graduate someday Mm -hmm. or something like that. And so Mm -hmm. now the kid works, he gets out of first grade, he goes to second grade, he gets out (laughs) of uh, primary school, he goes to middle school, everybody claps, and he feels (laughs) good for a minute, and now it's back to work. Yeah. And then he winds up in graduate school with the same thing. And by the time he's 40, he's now got a car, a trophy wife, a good job, and he has not got his reward yet. All of these years of doing what he was told to do, and he never did get the reward. So he has a midlife crisis, and he goes out, and he either gets a good psychologist or a Harley Davidson. Guess which one he chooses. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: right.
0: Okay, But we're looking for the reward that we were promised and we never got it. It's like that donkey. This is why the Buddha is talking about this is the animal state, is doing what we're told to do and never get a reward for it. And yet we keep doing it. We keep doing what we were told to do. Mm-hmm. This is the nesting instinct, and this is exactly what is meant by follow the rules. Do what you were told to do. This is clearly the nesting instinct right there. Right. To join the nest, you got to do what you're told to do, and it doesn't matter whether you get a reward at it or not. Okay, which robs us then of our own uh, pleasure in this moment. But in mm-hmm. fact, what we can actually learn to do through wisdom is it doesn't matter what job you've been given to do. You could do it happily. Your choice. You don't have to wait for the reward. <laughs> yeah. Many people have a job because they think that they're going to get paid at the end, uh, on, on payday. That's okay. when companies go out of business?
2: <laughs>
0: they the go one. out of business on payday. <laughs> Every company goes out of business on payday.
2: Yeah. Why
0: is that? If you go out of business the day after payday, then you're not going to get any more work out of the people.
2: Right.
0: If you go out of business on payday, you don't have to pay them for the past two Mm -hmm. weeks or month of their work. Sorry, we're out of business now. And you don't get paid.
2: Oh,
1: my God. And this is like... Um, an immense exaggeration of this is if you do certain things in this life, you will be born as a blah, blah, blah in the next life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in fact, we don't know any of that. There, who, who has ever come back and says, yippee, I'm coming from the future and I can tell you how marvelous it's going to be from you. <laughs> Nobody does that. Doesn't happen. <laughs> And then they say, well, if somebody was actually in that place in the future and really liked it, why would they come back here to tell you about it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's the, I'm telling you, classic Hinduism right now. (laughs) That's the old story that why should anybody come back from heaven just Mm -hmm. to tell you that it really is there? Well, the answer then is, well, if that's true, that no one has ever come back, which means that. You don't have any evidence that there is a heaven. You're making it up. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's the other side of that is is that um, these are actually stories that are told to children. Mm -hmm. And uh, and here's the way that it goes. That the child can naturally see for himself that sometimes he can get away with it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he doesn't get caught. And in fact, modern criminals have figured out the smarter they are, the less likely they are to get caught if they cover their bases and they cover everything they can possibly get away with it. Yeah. Well, okay, so society is left with a difficulty now, and so society teaches you, no, you can't get away with it. Mm. And this is where the law of karma comes from. Good action gives good results, and bad action gives bad results, and it doesn't matter how long the bad results take they're going to kick you. It's almost like the big giant common machine in the sky will dig you up <laughs> 300 years from now just to beat your ass.
1: <laughs> so why do you paracetamol to treat malaria with, when you can give hydrochloroquine, right?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So this whole idea then of uh, one's right view the ordinary right view is is that no you can't get away with it you've got to follow the rules and so this is how society is managed because we kind of have that secret belief that we can't get away with it eventually we're going to get caught to where noble right view is much more of look at what's going on check things out make sure that you understand what's going on And now we can throw out all of the rules and come down to just one rule. We can live our lives with just one rule. What rule is that? It's the actually and only teachings of the Buddha, suffering and no suffering. That's your choice. Are you going to live a life of suffering or are you going to live a life of no suffering? Your choice every time. In this present moment, do you choose to behave in the right way that's going to be appropriate and friendly and and useful to other people, are you going to go around harming people with the possibility that they'll get you back? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And so, in a way, one's noble right view is also a view of friendliness, a view of compassion, a view of not going along to get along, but rather to get along because we know how to do that.
1: Right. Because it's most effective?
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, this right noble view then actually plugs a hole in that old uh, comma uh, point mm-hmm. that you can't get away with it. Yeah. Because it depends upon what it means to get away with it. One of the things that I can attest in the old, old days, I understand this, that I it wasn't like... that. Okay, I'm using the example of shoplifting. Okay. That often the kid who's shoplifting feels bad before he gets out of the store. He hasn't actually stolen it yet, and he's already feeling bad. He's afraid he's going to get caught. Yeah. Okay. So that's, in fact, a way of looking at comma, is that it's not necessarily um, the way that we look at it. Yeah. Okay. That in right, fact, they, the um, the way you that we can wind up in suffering before we have actually done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. It's it's the intention of doing the wrong that winds us up in, in suffering sometimes. And if our intention is to do the right thing, and to figure out what's the right thing in the moment to do, then that's the only uh, um, that's the only morality that we need. That's our code. Yeah. Our code is to not do harm which is a very noble view of looking at it
1: yeah but tell me something like if the child is not taught about the shoulds and coulds like you should not steal from a store and also with that the person does not like um is say i do not i was not taught to be uh not shoplifting. So I go to a uh-huh. store and I try to shoplift. And um, at that very time, I do not experience the emotions uh, of the distress. So would you say that some level of shoulds or coulds are required?
0: Actually, that's um, you're, you're absolutely right because if we did not have that, we wouldn't have a society. You're asking the question is, do, do humans need a society or not? The answer is darn right they are because they'll kill each other if you don't have. <laughs> However, uh, and in fact, that's the, that's the wrong view. We either have or the society has the choice of either having wrong view, which means I can get away with it, which leads to chaos. It leads to crime. It leads to, well, in fact, the word crime doesn't even apply because what's a crime? Mm-hmm. Everything is chaos, there's no rules,
2: exactly. okay
0: but the point that I'm making is is all the rules that we piled on and society is nothing but piling on more and more and more rules. And yet people still suffer. The point the point originally was is to remove suffering and the rules are not doing the job.
2: Oh uh, yeah, now I get it, yeah.
0: The rules don't work. The rules, in fact, wind up being their own burden. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the right way, the right view is, is that you're they're right. I cannot get away with it. Yeah. That, that I don't even want to. That, in fact, I want to very happily apologize when I've done something wrong because I don't want the burden of having other people think mm-hmm. that I've done wrong. In fact, this is exactly leading back to that conversation that we had right before you called, if you'll remember.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Who's
0: the sorriest?
2: <laughs>
0: and so I was playing with you with that in the sense of um, that uh, we, we think that when we've done wrong, that we should be punished for it. hmm Okay. The Thai language for uh, of apology is called tut. The word tut is basically the butt, and ko <laughs> is to hit. It basically oh. means hit my ass, uh, beat my ass. And that's the Thai wow. version of uh, apology. And so in English, we have the word sorry in the sense of if I feel bad now then I have already suffered for my um, uh, transgression against you. Therefore, I want you to take mercy on me and not beat my ass for the problem that I've done. So, okay, so this is built into that um, uh, ordinary right view, which is crime and punishment. That we have to take, uh, when we say we have to take responsibility, in this case, it means I've got to take punishment for mm-hmm. what i've done wrong but wisdom will say no you don't have to pun. you do not have to get punished for doing wrong a mo- more important or appropriate thing is for you to look at what you're doing and learn okay mm-hmm. to wake up to come out of your um uh, uh even suffering and to come out of one's wrongdoing so if we can admit happily to what we have done wrong then we're willing to admit what we've done wrong easily and we'll begin to learn very quickly from our own mistakes rather than denying them mm-hmm. which is the normal way that people live when they have ordinary right view is they think oh if i um if i if i admit the transgression then i'll have to be punished for it
2: yeah
0: okay but in the framework of the dukkha and dukkha naroda why should I take on the dukkha of feeling bad because I've seen the transgression? I should be yippee kayo kaye. i show you what I've done wrong now. Aha, uh-huh, I see you, Myra. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's
2: all right. That we
0: actually want to be joyful about seeing our own wrongdoing.
1: Yeah. That's an achievement yep. many few people can do anyway.
2: So... Mm-hmm.
0: So this is one's noble right view is to have the joy of being able to do the investigation, finding out what the ordinary right view would consider bad or wrong or whatever, because we're looking for it in the sense of repair to get it fixed. And Mm -hmm. so we really want to find out what's going on because we're not ashamed of finding out what's going on. Yeah. And so, but originally your question was, how did society get started? Society got started to teach the children you can't get away with it. You've got to fit into the culture. You've got to fit into the nest if you misbehave. And you can see that right down to the monkeys. That if that young monkey won't shut his mouth, the old the old monkey in the crowd is going to take that little monkey and throw him out of this tree because Aww. the the big monkey does not want the big cats to find out where their nest is.
2: Right. So
0: if that young monkey can't shut his face, he's out. This right. is sorry, but that's that's the reality of the situation and that's also the reality of our gut reaction. Our okay. gut reaction is there. That's part of the uh, one's noble right view is mm-hmm. I had better behave myself Because I'm going to get hurt if I misbehave. So the wrong view, completely wrong view, is I can get away with it. And the ordinary right view is, oh, no, I can't. I better shut my face.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right.
0: Okay. So we have covered now three of the um, uh, four. And so the last one to look at is the Asura. Now, you, Ashura, the, uh, in, in Greek mythology, this would be the Titans. The Ashuras are a level of um,
2: uh, in heavenly Banda,
0: worlds, but it's the lowest of the heavenly world.
2: Yeah. And this
0: is the world of the heavenly warrior.
1: Yeah, which, in Bangla we have uh, Ashuras who are um, viewed as people with power, but they are not exactly demons. So something like warlords are sure. But in
0: the magical world, they become demons.
1: Okay. But they
0: are warlords. But here's the issue with them is that they are afraid to fight when they know that they're going to lose. So it winds up being they're all dressed up with no place to go. And this is the group that Buddha puts that word of fear under. The Afuras are afraid. Right. Okay, the warlords—they don't want to fight with each other. Okay. Because they might lose. And yet they're all—they're uh, all dressed up for war, but they don't go to war because <laughs> they're afraid.
2: Right. Okay. okay and we
0: can be—we can, in fact, be all dressed up and ready to go and then balk. Perhaps the quality of that could be seen as the kid at his own stage. Mm -hmm. Okay, and all the family and everybody's in the audience, and he's only got one line, and he gets out on stage and he freezes, okay? This is that state of we get stopped. Uh, We can also think of it as um, you've heard of uh, uh, flight or fright. Yeah. Is generally preceded by freeze.
2: Yeah, freezing. This
0: is that state of freezing up.
2: Okay. Right.
0: So we freeze up or we're incapable of behaving because we're full of fear or full of fright, but almost always the fear is uh, inappropriate.
1: Mhm. Because they're based on past experiences, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's based upon childhood fears rather than fears of what's really happening in the present moment. Fear of loss, fear of mm-hmm. uh, loss of face. Uh, and so these four woeful states fit right into the instincts and right into the four modes of clinging. And so we become, mm-hmm. because of our clinging, we are reborn in a hell state, mentally a hell state. Mm-hmm. Or We are reborn into a state of fear. And then we get out of it somehow, but we get right back into it because mm-hmm. of our nature. Okay, so now we have actually talked about um, the... Uh, in the Pali, from Vedana, or the feelings, into um, Tanha, and then Upadana. And from Upadana is Bhava, which is the developing, and then Jati is the birth into that woeful state. And that that born into that woeful state, that Jati is, in fact, now full-on dukkha. When we get ourselves into these woeful states, it's a completely uncomfortable place to be.
1: And this Anger, keeps happening right, throughout the life. Pardon? And this keeps happening throughout the life, right?
0: Over and over and over again, because we're not woken up sufficiently enough to recognize we can control our feelings.
1: Yeah. This right. is
0: ignorant feelings and ignorant feelings wind up in pretty ignorant woeful states. <laughs> And that's the teaching of the Buddha of Paticca Samuppada. So, in um, retrospect, we can see that this um, teaching of Paticca Samuppada is showing how the mind itself works. But by doing so, we're also describing in great detail the second noble truth. The Paticca Samuppada is, in fact, the second noble truth when. It all puts together. How did the Buddha figure this out? With that one phrase, aha, I see you, Mara, which is that wisdom at the point of contact. He woke up and he saw, I am not that anger.
2: Yeah.
1: And I guess that's the best definition of enlightenment.
0: That's it. Once <laughs> we wake up, We uh, there's two kinds of words, uh, ways of looking at it, and both and the Buddha covers them both exquisitely, in detail and in order. And so I'll give those to you as the uh, ending of this uh, little talk. And that is enlightenment has actually a root word to it, and that's the word light. Light has two definitions, like light, like. Oh, like turning the light on,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like daylight, mm-hmm. like like uh, um, uh, uh, let's put a, let's put a light on the subject, or, or like on stage, going in front of the footlights, or going, or the other one would be gaslighting,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is a different way of using the word light. But what is gaslighting? That means we're creating a fog. We're trying to fix it so that the light doesn't work anymore.
2: Right.
0: Okay. So that's one kind of light, which we can actually then redefine uh, as the word knowledge, or in fact, wisdom itself—the ability to see what's going on. So the enlightenment is the waking up to see that we're not who we thought we were, to wake up and see that these rights, rules, laws, rituals, and everything had a benefit. But they wind up being more in the way, right? And so we can live without that set of rules by being aware of what's going on in the moment. We can wake up and live wisely, and then we don't need the rules anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So um, by w- by this waking up process um, and and becoming wise, we're coming out of that st- those states of ignorance that wind us up in these woeful states so the light turning on the light to see what you're doing okay but that there's another kind of light and that is the light that is referred to in the sense of not heavy okay so we become lightened up we're not heavy anymore
1: not stressed
0: (laughs) okay and so this is what we would be calling deliverance or freedom.
2: So okay. first comes
0: knowledge about how to be free, followed by the freedom itself. And these okay. are the two qualities of enlightenment.
1: hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: OK, and so how do we become enlightened then? And in, in that way is finally getting rid of the, all of the all of the fetters, which we'll talk about if you want to later. But basically, the first three fetters is the waking up process, or the first kind of enlightenment, which is then normally referred to as Sotapan, or the one who enters the stream of the Dhamma. And these three fetters are uh, unraveling the personality view, unraveling the Silabata Paramasa, or our attachments to rites, rules, rituals, and ways to do things, And then the third one is the complete eradication of doubt. The third complete eradication of doubt means that you are no longer confused about the Dhamma. Not only that, that. but there are three, actually I'll I'll spend a minute with it. There are three kinds of doubt. The first kind of doubt is who can I get to help me? Okay. The answer is nobody's gonna help you. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have to do it yourself. Yeah. The second kind of doubt is, am I up to the task? This is a major point. When you have the lion's roar, when you have the, uh, uh, the feeling of can do, that you can clean up the mind, now you have eradicated that second doubt in the sense you know that you can solve your problem. Now, the third layer of doubt is, do you have the right tools? The answer is yes, the tools that the Buddha is giving us to even find out that we can do it ourselves are Mm -hmm. the very tools that we need to get this job done. So those are the first knowledges. Those are the first three. After that comes the the higher uh, fetters, which are the deliverance, like uh, deliverance from conceit, deliverance from... Uh, anger, deliverance from greed, and then eventually a deliverance from fear.
2: Okay,
0: okay, and so when we get those, that the deliverance then means that that's uh, we're no longer heavy, we're no mm-hmm. longer heavy with anger, we're no longer heavy with uh, sadness, we're no longer heavy with fear, it,
2: that we're light,
0: joyful. Yeah. Uh-huh. and so these are the two kinds of enlightenment. But most in the West, and I think that this is a bit in Hindu also, is they look at enlightenment as something magical,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: something above the human, supernatural. But it's not supernatural, it's super mundane in the sense that we come out of the mundane part of it and live in in a higher quality, natural way. So we're not transcending nature, we're transcending the mundane. Right. And this is the enlightenment, and it's an ordinary human that gets into that state, and wow, does he like it, <laughs> and she does too.
2: <laughs> okay, I have
1: a tiny bit of question. I'm so sorry. I know you are pretty good okay. right now. I won't take much of your time. And so um, we spoke about wanting, motivation, and also spoke about fear, right? So sometimes uh, fear actually helps you motivate and do certain stuff,
2: and if
0: mm-hmm. like to escape i know that's what its intention is yeah
2: so uh,
0: in thing- fact that fear of the of the freeze is the body is actually preparing itself through the adrenaline um gland and things for fight or flight so right. yes fear is a motivator it is a strong motivator It's a strong motivator to flee and fear or to turn it into anger and turn around and fight. Yeah. But the basis of it is the same,
2: mm-hmm. okay? So,
0: so now okay. you can ask your question now that I've interrupted you. <laughs> oh,
1: that's okay. What I was asking is uh, how we can, like, can we use fear as a tool? Uh, let me you break
0: have it down. to. You do not want to eliminate it completely. Right. Imagine that fear is like your pet dog and that the dog has a problem. He barks too much. Mm-hmm. You don't want to kill the dog because he's barking too much. No. You want to be able to train the dog so that when he barks at the wrong time, we can say down, boy, down, boy. But we do want to keep that fear because we do want that dog to bark when the, when an actual intruder is breaking in the house. We do want to have our fear. If you do not have fear and you do not have wisdom um, uh, sufficiently, you're going to wind up dead. Yeah. If you're fearless... And you walk right out on the road. And in India, you can't cross the road.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the that's, an, uh, that's an old
0: joke, you know. That's an old joke. That, um, uh, uh, um, why did the chicken cross the road? The yeah. answer is if it's an Indian chicken, he didn't cross <laughs> the road.
2: <laughs>
1: Actually, in India, people have superpower. They just think if they show their hand, everything is going to stop. And they just callously just show their hand and walk on a busy street as if it's going to stop the universe for them.
0: Yes. And and that's ignorance. okay. And uh, and and it might work from time to time, but it'll be really dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so we want to keep that fear because it's been keeping us alive. If everything that you did when you were a child, if you had, uh, that you did because you were afraid, if you had not had that fear and had done something else, you probably wouldn't survived. You'd have gotten killed.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, so we can't say that fear is the enemy. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's also not the boss. Yep. That's the point that we're making is, is that when that fear comes up, we want to be able to control the situation rather than running really nilly, uh, operating completely off of instincts.
1: Right,
2: now it makes yes. sense. Yes, <laughs> now
0: it makes sense, right. Okay, we're not going to kill off the fear.
2: We're <laughs> yes. going to
0: manage it well.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah.
0: and part of that management is is to learn so that we don't have to have so many false positives.
2: Absolutely.
0: But we, and so when when there is a false positive we have to check it out but when we check it out wait a minute things are safe now an example here's an example of that I found out when I was uh, in training as a therapist that uh, that I had been doing something for many years. And began yeah. to get aware of it, but only vaguely. But the more time I spent with it, the re- more I recognized that I was in a panic every, Saturday, uh, every Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday night I would get into a panic.
2: Okay.
0: And you know why? Because when I was in high school, I didn't do my weekend homework. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. and
0: I was in the church and in in Baptist church and the best television in the week is on Sunday night and so that's now right. I have do I do my homework do I do to go to church like my mommy wants me to do or do I sit down and watch the TV that I want to watch <laughs> while I'm feeling full of anxiety
2: yep.
0: and I got into a habit but I, but years later I began to recognize that's what it was <laughs> and once I saw that it was really easy to get rid of. Every time it would come up on Sunday evening, I said, oh, I see that. And I didn't even know anything about Buddhism then, but I was able to cure myself of an anxiety attack that was happened right on time, right on time, every Sunday night. And I get myself up, all, all uptight.
1: I would love to hear your story someday, how you came across all of this.
0: Um... <laughs> Actually, it's not important anymore. What's important is, is that we can spread the Dhamma.
2: Yeah, that is true.
0: That if we could teach the Dhamma, then old stories are just entertainment. And so we can, we can do some entertaining, because uh, I do a lot with my students. I really enjoy <laughs> especially uh, because of Danny's been, uh, we've been friends now for, I think, nearly four years. Oh. and so a lot of what we talk about is uh dharma that we both know and we know that both of us know it and so really? we have a different kind of conversation that way
2: <laughs> okay
0: okay so i'm really glad that uh um that you're beginning to join our little community of friends
2: <laughs> Me too. We got, a
0: lot, got a lot of friends uh uh that i'm talking to on a regular basis uh staying with the dhamma. so thank you debbie
1: oh thank you for showing me all of these beautiful teachings
0: <laughs> I'm well it really, comes right out of, i'm i'm really just digging up your your own backyard right now you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is true that is true
0: <laughs> okay well we'll see you later
1: yeah thank you bye-bye
0: okay bye-bye. Bye
1: bye-bye